right. We are doing our Genesis series tonight because I want to get it done in 2020. And so I uh, had, had to do one tonight, but I have been really anxious to do this chapter. And so uh, before we go into it, I just want to mention a couple of things. So we have been uh, on Saturdays um, when we've been doing our men's leadership training, we've been talking about hermeneutics and we've been talking. Uh, yesterday, we were talking about the typical principle, and that is basically typology. And we're going to look at some of that tonight. But one thing I want to just remind all of you when it comes to this subject, we don't use typology to prove doctrine. Okay? Don't do that. It's kind of icing on the cake. But because um, you can take typology too far and you can get and people sometimes do and they get in all kinds of weird doctrine. And so if somebody ever uses a type of something and a picture of something and it goes against other parts of the Bible, then you know what? Don't listen to it. But if it lines up with what we see in the Bible, well, then you maybe you have something there, but we don't want to go too far. We're going to try to get deep tonight and hopefully this will be a help to you. I think this is really interesting. This is a something that I've been interested in and uh, studying for a long time, and uh, hopefully you get something out of it tonight. But in Genesis 48, we'll start reading in verse 1. It says, And it came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, Behold, thy father is sick, and he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And one told Jacob and said, Behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee, and Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said unto me, behold, I will make thee fruitful and multiply thee and I will make of thee a multitude of people and I will give this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. Now, does that not sound a lot like the blessing of Abraham? That's, I mean, it's basically the same thing. And we know that blessing of Abraham that people love to talk about today when talking about the Jews it didn't go to all of Abraham's seed because Ishmael didn't get it, did he? It was Isaac. And then it didn't. when Isaac had two sons, it didn't go to all his children. It went to Jacob, not Esau. Now Jacob comes along and he has 12 sons and he's the one that has this possession. And God ends up naming Israel and this nation, you know, after Jacob, after God changed his name to Israel. So this is a very important character and this is a very important blessing. So this Blessing of Abraham, it's going, you know, it's going on, and this is something that we see that in reality goes to, in many ways, Joseph's line. So uh, he said, I've, I've, this, the land, all these things, it's for you for an everlasting possession. And it says, and now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt before I came unto thee into Egypt, are mine, as Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. And thy issue which thou begettest after them shall be thine, and shall be called after the name of their brethren and their inheritance. Now, what is the significance of Jacob claiming Manasseh and Ephraim is his? You know, why is he doing this? Why is this bringing up? Well, first off, this was a good thing because that land, that possession that Jacob's been talking about that was promised to Israel it was going to go to his seed, and it, and it was going to be divided into 12 parts because of the, the 12 tribes. And so Joseph, normally he would, you know, his line would just get one portion like all the rest. But because Jacob claimed Manasseh and Ephraim, Joseph's line is actually getting two portions. Joseph's actually getting double what his, brother, what his brethren got. And we'll see Jacob mention that at the end of the chapter. And so this is actually a good thing that's happening. And 
You say, but then that makes 13 sections. But we're going to see later where Levi, they didn't get an inheritance in the land. They were the priests of God. And so they didn't get a land inheritance. So there were still, though, 12 sections in Israel. And Joseph basically had two sections because Manasseh and Ephraim each had a portion and a tribe. So this is a good thing for the line of Joseph. Joseph's not losing out on anything. But then he said, and so any other children that Joseph had, they, you know, he's saying that, it, you know, the issue you begat after them, they would be named with Manasseh and Ephraim. So even though they were Joseph's children, they wouldn't be the tribe of Joseph. They would be in either the tribe of Manasseh or Ephraim, depending on where they lived. And so these two, though, were important because they were the ones that were there before Jacob died. They're the ones that Jacob is giving this blessing to. And we're going to see in the next chapter where he blesses all of his other sons. And so jo Jacob claiming Joseph's two sons as his own, it in reality was a gain for Joseph because that means his line is getting more of that land. And so this is a good thing. And it's not a surprise because Jacob did favor Joseph, didn't he? Jacob made a really big deal about Joseph. So verse seven says, and as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan in the way when yet there was but a little way to come unto Ephrath. And I buried her there in the way of Ephrath, the same as Bethlehem. And Israel beheld Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said unto his father, They are my sons whom God hath given me in this place. And he said, Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age, so that he could not see. And he brought them near unto him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face, and lo, God hath showed me also thy seed. And Joseph brought them out from between his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near unto him. And so Joseph, you know, he's got his two boys. And so his, the elder, Manasseh, would be over here in his left hand. The younger Ephraim be over here in the right hand so he could bring them to his father. And then where his father's sitting, the right hand would go on Manasseh, the firstborn, which would was a good was a significant thing because the elder would usually get the better blessing. That was the whole thing with Jacob and Esau. Okay? That was a very important thing. And so Joseph, he's got this in his mind, and his dad can't see, and so he does. He strategically puts them in that position. So Manasseh would get the right hand laid on him. So let's. So it says, And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head. So he switches them, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day, the angel which, had, which redeemed me from all evil blessed the lads and let my name be named on them and the name of my fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And, and so notice this blessing that he's laying on them. This is the blessing. This is the inheritance from Abraham and Isaac. So remember that with the right hand on Ephraim, the younger, rather than Manasseh. Keep that in mind. So it says, And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, 
it displeased him, and he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. And his father refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Talking about Manasseh. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. Now, this is prophetic, what we see going on here. I don't think anybody would deny this is very prophetic, what we're seeing happen here. Nobody would deny that chapter 49 is very prophetic when we see these blessings that he's uh, given his brothers. So there's something very significant going on here. What is it? What's happening? And it says, and he blessed them in that day, saying, in thee shall Israel bless, saying, God make thee as Ephraim and Manasseh. And he set Ephraim before Manasseh. So notice this blessing that was one that was given to Abraham. That was transferred, that the people still love talking about today, and they want to give it to the Jews. Notice how it didn't go to just any of Abraham's. It went specifically to Isaac, from Isaac to Jacob. And then Jacob, he specifically is doing this for Manasseh and Ephraim. But the right hand is on Ephraim, which is significant, showing that this is, there's, that Ephraim is actually going to be more fruitful. Ephraim gets a little more in this blessing, even though he's saying the same, basically the same thing for both of them. Ephraim's going to get a little bit more. So there, there's a reason for that. So what is the significance of this blessing? Well, first off, Jacob is continuing a pattern that we see of the younger brother excelling over the older brother. We've already been looking at that. We saw that with Jacob himself and his brother Esau. Jacob is over Esau, wasn't he? We saw the same thing with his father. Isaac was over Ishmael, even though Ishmael was born first. We saw it with Cain and Abel. Abel, except the younger brother, excelled over his older brother Cain. And we see the same thing, too, with Adam, which was the son of God, and Jesus Christ, who was also the son of God. The last Adam. And who excelled in that situation? Okay, we see a pattern. There's no doubt there's a pattern there of the younger brother prevailing over the older brother. And the younger, uh, the, the older representing the physical, you know, representing, you know, the natural, and the younger representing the spiritual. That's something we see throughout the Bible. We also see a picture of this in the prodigal son, where you've got the older brother and the younger brother. And, so, and, we'll, and we'll say a little more about that later. I've, I've preached a whole message on that before. But there's no doubt there's, something special about this whole older brother younger brother thing and we see it happening again in this next generation with Ephraim and Manasseh now you and I know that when it comes to um, Isaac and Ishmael there's no doubt with that pictures I'm not going deep in typology here I stole this from Paul Ishmael represents the Jews and Isaac represents the Christians that's in, that's in Galatians chapter 4 I didn't come up with that the apostle Paul did so don't tell me I'm going too far with typology there. Hey, we also see in the book of Romans where we see the example of Jacob and Esau that was given. And I believe you know, we are with Jacob. So when it comes to Manasseh and Ephraim, what does that specifically mean? What are we supposed to get from it? Well, let's go ahead and go uh, read the last couple of verses of this chapter. 
And look at a few more things. And it says, And Israel said unto Joseph, verse 21, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again unto the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. So this, again, it's showing Joseph was receiving a greater inheritance than his brothers. And again, this isn't so much about Joseph the individual, because Joseph the individual, he never went back to the land of Egypt, did he? He died in Egypt, and when the children of Israel left, they carried his bones into that land. So this wasn't about Joseph the individual. This was about the tribe of Joseph. And when it comes to the tribe of Joseph, um, and I, I'm not, we're not going to go to the references to it, but usually it doesn't talk about the tribe of Joseph. It'll say, you know, the tribe of the sons of Joseph, and usually it talks about the tribe of Ephraim or the tribe of Manasseh. You see that all the time because they were the ones that got it. And that was good. That means basically Joseph's line gets doubled. So uh, turn over to Revelation 7. So let me point out something in Revelation 7. Because what happened with the tribe of Ephraim? This is something that we need to pay attention to. That's uh, There's actually a lot of scripture about this, but it's something we don't pay a whole lot of attention to. So, and I wish I could tell you I discovered this, but it was actually, you know, I was talking to a pastor one time and he brought this up, how there was something to it and... Um, you know, I didn't get all the details and everything from them, but I started, I was like, you know, I think you're right. And I started looking into it. It's like, sure enough, there's, there's a lot to this. I think this is very significant. But in Revelation 7, this is where we have the 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe. But we're going to see there's two tribes missing. It says in verse 5, of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000, which is interesting too. It mentions Judah first, who was not the firstborn, yet he was the one that kind of prevailed over his brothers. We talked about that before. We might say more about that next or on Wednesday. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. Tribe of Asher, 12,000. The tribe of Nephilim were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manasseh were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. And then there's Issachar, Zebulun, and then the tribe of Joseph. So we have Joseph and Manasseh and the tribe of Benjamin. So there's two tribes that we see in the Old Testament that are not mentioned in heaven. And that is the tribe of Dan and the tribe of Ephraim. We don't, we don't see Ephraim or Dan mentioned there. Now, why is that? Okay, why is it all of a sudden back to being about Joseph and not about Ephraim? And where's Dan at? Now, let me give you my opinion on Dan. I think it's very possible there could be more to this. There might be something in the Bible that tells us more, and I, I just, it's escaped me. I've not noticed it. And, but, so I'll just give you my opinion uh, on this. But it says in Genesis 49, 16, uh, when Jacob is blessing Dan, he says, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent, by the way, an adder in the path that biteth the horse heels so that his rider shall fall backward. Sounds kind of sneaky, doesn't it? Uh, I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. Now, that's kind of mysterious there. So this is just my opinion. I don't think Dan was saved. That's just, that's just my opinion. I don't think Dan was saved. All right. Now, so Dan, he may have been unsaved. So he had a physical tribe because he did have a physical tribe. But he didn't have any spiritual heritage because he himself wasn't saved. And so Dan, 
he could be a representation of like a Judas because Jesus had 12 disciples, but one of them was a devil. And so maybe when it came to the tribes, you know, one of them was a devil. I, I, I don't know. That's just my opinion. You know, and Judas, he's a reminder that there's always phonies in the midst. Okay? Somebody in here, you know. And then, yeah, but I don't know. We'll, we'll worry about that in another sermon. But anyway, but, you know, and nobody likes to think about this, but it's just a sad reality. You know, we, and so we don't, and I don't think we need to worry so much about sniffing these people out, but we always just need to remain steadfast in our hearts knowing that at any time we might be betrayed by somebody we'd never expect, and it's always devastating, it's always sad, and it's okay to be sad about it, just don't quit when it happens. Don't quit when that happens. And so that's just my opinion when it comes to why Dan's not mentioned in there. I'm not going to fight anybody on this. Uh, you know, there could be a lot more to it, so it's, this isn't a hardline stance. But let me tell you why I think believe Ephraim is not mentioned there. Because in reality, I do think Ephraim is mentioned. Revelation chapter 7. Because notice back in, in Genesis 48, verse 16, says, The angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and let my name be named on them, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. He held his father's hand and removed it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh. So notice in there, the name of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob basically goes on the head of Ephraim. Now, it goes on the head of Manasseh, too, but more so on Ephraim than Manasseh because Ephraim got the right hand, and that was significant. Joseph, he, he didn't like it when he saw that. He tried to switch his father, you know, father's hands because he wanted it going to the firstborn. He wanted it going to Manasseh, but Ephraim clearly got the better portion of this blessing over Manasseh. Keep, keep that in mind. So there's, there's no doubt there's something very prophetic going on here. So what ended up happening historically in the Bible to the tribe of Ephraim? Well, look at Psalms 78 and verse 67. And there's a lot of scripture you can go to on this. Uh, we're, we're, you know, we're just going hit, to hit kind of a few highlights. But it says, Moreover, he refused the tabernacle of Joseph, and chose not the tribe of Ephraim, okay, but chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion, which he loved. Now, let me ask you, why did Ephraim get rejected? Because, again, this isn't about Ephraim, the individual that got rejected. This is about Ephraim, the people. This is about Ephraim, the tribe, or Ephraim, the nation that got rejected. Why did Ephraim get rejected? Because it mentions him getting rejected there in Psalms. And Ephraim get rejected, but God choosing Judah. And why did it only mention Ephraim versus Judah? What about the other ten tribes? Why is that? And without going to all the scriptures, notice what it says in Isaiah 7. I'll explain it all here shortly. In Isaiah 7 verse 5, it says, Because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, Let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabiel. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within threescore and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. And the head of Ephraim in Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. So what you have to understand about the tribe of Ephraim 
is they kind of became like the tribe of Judah was for the southern kingdom. Because remember when the kingdom split, uh, Judah only got Judah and Benjamin for an inheritance. The, the, the land of Judah and Benjamin belonged to the southern kingdom. And then, of course, they had the Levites, too, because the Levites dwelt there in Jerusalem and did the work of the Lord. But then God gave the other ten tribes to that northern kingdom, to Jeroboam. Okay, And then, if you, if you study that history, if you read there, eventually the capital of the northern kingdom, because the capital of the southern kingdom was Jerusalem, and Judah was the main tribe. The kings were always in that line of David in the tribe of Judah. But when it came to Ephraim, or when it came to the northern kingdom, Samaria became the capital. This is Ephraim's land. And so often when the Bible would talk about Judah, it wasn't just talking only about the tribe of Judah. It was talking about Judah and Benjamin and the Levites. And so it was the same thing, too. When it would talk about the northern kingdom, often it was talking about Ephraim. And it wouldn't name all ten tribes. It would just mention Ephraim. Or, uh, so uh, Ephraim kind of became the, you know, the head tribe. They were the, kind of the headquarters, the capital. And so when it's talking about God rejecting Ephraim here, it's talking about the northern kingdom. But it's using the name of Ephraim. And that because they were the head of it and God choosing Judah, it's talking about the southern kingdom. Here in Isaiah chapter 7, when God's pronouncing judgment, this is during that time when Sennacherib was coming in and threatening Judah. And you all remember the story when Hezekiah was king and God did a great deliverance for the southern kingdom. But before that, the northern kingdom got taken out. And one of the reasons God got so mad at the northern kingdom, they were conspiring against the southern kingdom. They were working with the enemies against the southern kingdom. They were, the northern kingdom was always more wicked than that southern kingdom. So they were, they were really bad, and they got taken captive way before the southern kingdom did. So uh, these are all things that you've got to understand about history. So you understand in a lot of these prophecies when it's talking about Ephraim, it's actually talking about the northern kingdom. And so keep that in mind. So in the northern kingdom, they're the lead tribe. And Ephraim, it was never established again as a capital. When God's people were restored to their land, you know what? They went back to being one kingdom. When you read the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, when you're reading um, a lot of the, you know, the prophecy books from that time after the captivity, you don't read about the northern kingdom anymore. Now, you still had the land of Samaria, but again, you don't hear them talking so much about Ephraim and that northern kingdom. They became one kingdom again. Which was, all, which was also prophesied, okay? And, and, I, and I don't have time to go into a lot of the prophecies about that. Uh, we'll turn over to Ezekiel chapter 37. We'll, we'll look at one. But basically, over the centuries, you know, up until the time of Christ, Israel was always under some kind of control. And, make, and pay attention, follow all this. It's all important stuff. We're given a lot of history here. But Israel was always under some kind of control. You had the Babylonians, then you had the Medes and Persians that came and took over. And then, we don't read about it in our Bible, but it's in between Malachi and uh, Matthew. You have those silent years, and during that time, the Greeks came in and took over and ran things. And then eventually, the Romans came in and took over. And during Jesus' time, the Romans were kind of in charge. So Israel, you know, they never really got back to where they were before. And that, But they did have a kingdom. They had a king, you know, and they still had, uh, you know, it was kind of like in America where, you know, 
we have freedom, but we don't really have freedom. You know what I'm saying? But we're told that we do. You know, and they they let us do they let us do a lot of stuff that you know is supposed to be an inalienable right still, but they can stop it whenever they want. And it was kind of the same thing in Israel. You know, they let them do their religious practices, and as long as they weren't causing too much trouble, they let them do a lot of stuff. But in reality, Rome was really in charge, weren't they? Rome was really in charge, and so it was kind of a, a similar situation. But during all that time, during all those centuries, uh, especially, you know, what we don't read about in the Bible, what ended up happening with Ephraim, what ended up happening with the northern kingdom, and not just the tribe of Ephraim. Remember, it's all, it's all those ten tribes. During that time, you know what happened? They got very mixed with the Gentiles, didn't they? I mean, we see examples of that that's written about in Ezra and Nehemiah. And during Jesus' time, you know what they called those people? Samaritans. Okay, They were called Samaritans. The half-Jewish, half-Gentile you know, people... They were, called Samar- they were called Samaritans. Why? Because they were of that northern kingdom of Samaria. And the Jews didn't like to claim them, did they? The Jews didn't want them anywhere near them. But understand who those people were. That's that northern kingdom. That's Ephraim. Those Samaritans are basically Ephraim. They are kind of a mixed group. Part Jew, part Gentile. So... Keep those things in mind. So now while the Jews rejected the Messiah, we see the, uh, when it, um, the Samaritans, you know, they in many ways accepted him, didn't they? We see how the disciples, they got bent out of shape when Jesus talked to that woman of Samaria. We see that the Pharisees, they got bent out of shape when uh, Jesus would, you know, sit with sinners and eat with sinners and these people that... They considered unclean and not fit because of a lot of these things. And that is what the story of the prodigal son is all about. Because understand, Jesus Christ receiving sinners, Jesus Christ receiving Gentiles, Jesus Christ receiving Samaritans. You know what that was? That was a picture of that northern kingdom, that younger brother being restored is what that was. And so in the story of the prodigal son, we make it all about the backslider coming back. In reality, it was about that northern kingdom. It was about those Samaritans. It was about those Gentiles basically being restored to the father, which was a good thing. But they didn't see it that way, did they? In fact, you know what they did? They kind of did like Joseph when he sees his father giving an extra blessing to Ephraim. He tried to stop it and say, no, that goes to Manasseh. Isn't that the same thing we see happening? Joseph, he's kind of like a picture of the Jews there and saying, no, the blessing goes to Manasseh, not Ephraim. But you know what? God said, no, I'm going to the Gentiles. I'm going to Ephraim. And I believe that Ephraim is a representation of the Gentiles. Ephraim, spiritually here, he is a picture. He is a type of of the gentiles now notice what it says in ezekiel 37 in verse 15 it says the lord, the word of the lord came again unto me saying moreover thou son of man take thee one stick and ride upon it for judah and for the children of israel his companions and take another stick and ride upon it for joseph the stick of ephraim 
and for all the house of Israel, his companions, and join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in thine hand. Now, this is a very prophetic passage. Now, on one hand, when you're looking at that passage, it looks like a prophecy that God is going to restore the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and make them all one kingdom again. And what did he call them? He called them Judah and Joseph, but then specifically Ephraim, even though all the tribes are involved in this. And God says, I'm going to make them one again. Now, here's the question. Did this prophecy get fulfilled? Has, has that prophecy been fulfilled? Well, you, you can kind of say on one hand, I mean, the kingdom did get restored and they were one kingdom again. But you know what? They, they never really were restored because we see during Jesus' time, the Samaritans and the Jews had nothing to do with each other. They had no dealings with each other. But spiritually, you could say that it's happened because what did Jesus do? Jesus, Jesus broke down that middle wall of partition that separated the Jews and the Gentiles, and he's made us of both one. Spiritually, this was done. Spiritually, I believe this has happened where God has made one kingdom both of Jews and Gentiles. Isn't that what the New Testament teaches about salvation? Isn't that what we see that all over where God has made us both one, Jews and Gentiles? When, I'm not going to go into all the passage on that. You know that. But I believe this is what Ezekiel's talking about spiritually. It's showing how God is going to have one people again. So, uh, but, so, so here's the thing you got to understand. So in this blessing that Jacob does... With Manasseh and Ephraim, he's got Ephraim there and he's got Manasseh there. Who gets the bigger portion? It's, it's the same blessing, isn't it? He said the same thing to him, but who gets the bigger portion? Ephraim, right? The one that he put the right hand on. Now, when it comes to salvation, are there salvation for the Jews and a salvation for the Gentiles? No, it's one salvation, isn't it? Same salvation for the Jews and the Gentiles. But let me ask you, where has there been more fruit? For Jews or Gentiles? No doubt Gentiles. Are there saved Jews? Is there not a remnant? Of course there is. But who's been, where has there been greater fruit? No doubt with Ephraim, with the Gentiles. And does anybody remember what the name Ephraim means? It means fruitful. It means fruitful. That's exactly what it means, Gentiles have received the greater portion. Same blessing, same salvation, but Gentiles have gotten more. So I believe that Ephraim is a picture of the Gentiles, and that's, not, and that's why he's not mentioned in Revelation 7 with the other Jews. But does anybody remember who else they talk about in Revelation chapter 7? Go ahead and turn back there. Remember what else it talks about. I personally believe Ephraim is. In Revelation chapter 7. Because remember what Joseph said to Ephraim too? That he was going to become a multitude of nations? How's he going to do that? Again, because Ephraim got all mixed with the Gentiles. They're all over the place. We're Ephraim. We're from all over the place. And what does it say in verse uh, chapter 7? And after it talks about the... uh, It says... In verse 9, after all the tribes, after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations 
and kidrons and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Who do you think that is? That's the Gentiles, folks. The people from all nations, that's the Gentiles. You know what? That's Ephraim right there. And there's a multitude that can't be numbered. You could number Joseph. You could number Manasseh. There's 144,000. Same blessing, same salvation. But where we, we see a lot more of it, we see a lot more of it with Ephraim, with the Gentiles. That's where the fruit's at. The fruit's at is with Ephraim. There's no doubt about I don't think I'm just seeing things, folks. Okay, I don't think I'm just seeing things. I'm not trying to just pull stuff out that's not there. I think this seems pretty clear if you ask me. And so... In Genesis 41, 52, when Joseph had Ephraim, he says, and he called the name of the second, he called Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. We see in John chapter 11, in verse 53, it says, then from that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him to death. The Jews want to put Jesus to death. Jesus, therefore, walked no more, no more openly among the Jews but went thence unto a country near the wilderness into a city called Ephraim, and there he continued with his disciples. Now, is that a coincidence? When the Jews rejected Jesus in the story, what did he do? He went to Ephraim. And isn't that what we see what happened after the resurrection? After the Jews started persecuting the church and started persecuting God's people, you know what we see? We see the focus go from the Jews to the Gentiles. That's exactly what we see. I don't think this is a coincidence. The city that Jesus decides to go into after the Jews reject him is Ephraim. Uh, you might think this is a coincidence. I don't really think so. We see in Matthew 4, 15, says the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephthalim by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people which sat in darkness saw a great light and to them which sat in the region in shadow of death Light is sprung up. Notice it said Galilee of the Gentiles. In Isaiah 9, which is what it's quoting, it says, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. Okay, often Old Testament uses the term nations. When it's talking about the nations like that, it's talking about the Gentiles. Often when you see the Bible talking about the heathen, it's talking about Gentiles. They use these words interchangeably many times. And so it says, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon whom the light had shined. So it was prophesied. It was part of God's plan to go to the Gentiles. And we see in Jesus' ministry when the Jews rejected him, when they decided they were going to kill him, what does he do? He goes to the Gentiles. At first, they weren't going to the Gentiles. But later, he was. And we see the same thing in the book of Acts. Whenever the, the Jews aren't receiving it, what do they do? They focus on the Gentiles. You know why they went there? Because that's where it was fruitful. You know, there's nothing wrong with going where it's fruitful. You know, there's nothing wrong when you go soul winning, you know, focusing on more fruitful areas. There's nothing wrong with that. Obviously, we want to go to everybody. We have a plan to go to everybody, but we like to focus on fruitful areas. We want to focus on those who are going to receive the gospel. That's what's more important. And so, you know, I believe what we're seeing in Genesis 48 and with Ephraim in the Bible is that he is a picture of the Gentiles. God knew that, there would be, that they would be a more fruitful people 
when it came to his salvation. That's what God always knew was going to come. They were going to be the more fruitful people. The Gentiles, they were not plan B. There's no doubt. God always knew this was going to happen. And that's why we see this picture that's perfect where in reality, you know, the picture that we see with Cain and Abel, you know, it's pretty clear, you know, you've got the, you know, you've got the work of the hands and you've got the blood sacrifice is kind of the focus. And salvation, it's about the blood sacrifice, right? It's about Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. When you look at uh, Ishmael and Isaac, you know, you've got the one that was born of the flesh, but then you have one that was born of promise. And that's important because we have a people today that thinks because of their physical lineage that they are the people of God. But you know what? It's the children of promise that are counted for the seed. It's those that are of faith. So that's us because we're of faith. We see the same thing you know, with, with Esau and Jacob. Esau despised his birthright. Okay? He, you know, he, was, he wanted that meat so bad, he was just willing to just get rid of it and, you know, the Bible calls him a, a, you know, like you'd be like a fornicator or some profane person as Esau. So focused on the things of the flesh that he threw away that inheritance. You know what? The Jews, they had every opportunity. You know what they did? They threw it away. Why? They were caught up in the things of this world. And it blinded their heart. But, and then so we see when it comes to the Manasseh and Ephraim, it's like it's getting a little more specific about where the fruit's going to come from. And there's no doubt there was some fruit with Manasseh. God made up, raised up a great people with the tribe of Manasseh, but the tribe of Ephraim was greater. And God has saved Jews. God still saves Jews, but Gentiles get saved more. So we see that plan all the way in the book of Genesis. And yet the Ruckmanites, they want to act like when Jesus showed up, it was like a big mistake when all these things happened. God always knew what was going to happen. We see in the book of Genesis, God knew it was going to happen. We see in Isaiah 65, it says, I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, behold me, behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. That's talking about the Gentiles. And Romans 10, 20 makes it very clear when it quotes that. It says, Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. You know, and folks, who could have predicted that? Who would have ever thought that the people who are going to be more fruitful, the people who are going to receive the Messiah, the people who are going to receive salvation, wouldn't we think it's the crowd that's working for their salvation? Wouldn't we think it's the crowd that's trying to be godly? Wouldn't we think it's the crowd that's, you know, calling on God and talking about God and doing all these things? Wouldn't we think it'd be that crowd? While we've got another crowd out, they're not even looking for God. You know, they're not, they're, they're living like the devil. They're living horrible the way they live. But at the end of the day, they're the ones that got saved. You know why? Because they had faith. That's the only difference. They had faith. They didn't try achieving salvation by the works of the law, but the Jews did. It was a stumbling stone to them. They thought they could achieve salvation by the works of the law. They got too self-righteous. They got too lifted up with pride, where at least those Gentiles, they realized, yeah, we're really bad. Yeah, we don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve salvation. Our only hope is... Grace, 
It's the blood of Christ, and that is where salvation was at. So, you know, this is, said it, I, I think it's an interesting type. This, again, this is a type. This doesn't prove anything, but I think it's more icing on the cake on the fact that we have the same salvation as the Jews. There's this more. And you know what? When it comes to Christians as a whole, there's Jews and Gentiles, and there aren't there. But there's a lot more Gentiles than Jews. Ephraim has been a lot more fruitful than Manasseh. And so pay attention to that. When you're studying the Bible and you're reading these things, always keep in your mind that Ishmael, Esau, uh, and Manasseh, they're the Jews. Isaac, Jacob, and uh, Ephraim, that's Christians. That's those that are of faith. And so... um, I just think, I think it's amazing how God always knew what was going to happen. I've always wondered in my mind, why isn't Ephraim and Dan mentioned in there? I'm not positive on, in, in Revelation 7. I'm not positive I'm right about Dan. I think I could be, but I'm pretty sure I'm right about Ephraim. And if you can show me clear doctrine somewhere that debunks anything I'm teaching, well, then we'll throw, we'll throw that typology out. But you know what? Nobody's been able to debunk what we're teaching. And I think that lines up pretty good. We've looked at a lot of stuff in Genesis where it's like, that can't be a coincidence. When you read the story of you know how uh, Isaac got Rebecca, man, that that is such a clear picture of salvation. There's there's no doubt God always had a plan, and He put it in here in shadows. You know the, these things. They I believe they were shadows of what was to come, and now we can look back on these things, and it ought to just really put us in awe of God and God's work. No other book in the world can do anything like this. None, not not even close and that just to me is proof that this is the word of god and so with that let's pray dear lord we thank you so much for your word and dear god i pray uh lord that you'll uh use this message just motivate us to continue studying your word lord we thank you that you have offered salvation to the entire world and lord that you that you did it all for us you've made it so simple and so easy for us to be saved lord even though uh, some of us have grown up in Christian homes and, are, and around the things of God. There's just no doubt at all. It's clear in your word that we're all sinful and vile. We do not deserve the salvation, but Lord, we thank you for giving it to us anyway. I pray you help us to uh, just be good examples and, uh, and do our best to continue spreading that light to this world. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Right, let's stand.